You are listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSN, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. It is an honor to be here. It is always an honor to share with the next generation. The church will only go as far as you guys are willing to follow Jesus. And my hope is that you guys will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to follow Jesus. And that's kind of the topic of today's message. But if you have your, you can have those phones back now, okay? You can pull them out from under your seat. That was only so you would not take pictures of the screen. If you did take a picture of the screen, delete that, all right? That is not supposed to be shared on social media yet. Um, They're going to be the first to do that. Um, But if you guys will pull out to your phones for, if you have a phone app for the Bible, I would love for you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5. This is a well-known story. You possibly have heard it before. Um, this is the story of Naaman. But it, there are some points in here that I, I want to pull out that hopefully that you haven't thought about, or at least not recently. And so I, I love this story. I think it's a very encouraging story. It has some very interesting parts to it. So all I want you to do is listen or read along with me right here, and then we'll come back through it, and we'll break it down in more detail and just have a couple of points, and then I will let you guys out of here. All right. It says this, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. And I'm reading in the ESV if you have that different version. And so if you're wondering, which other versions does he listen to? I'm looking at the ESV, all right? So Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So here we have the king of Syria's right-hand man, the, the, the military leader, the highest general in his army is Naaman powerful man, all right? And he has so much going for him, all right? He's got prestige and honor and these military victories and power and wealth. He has all these things, but he has leprosy. And leprosy was horrific in ancient times. Today, we have a cure for leprosy. And so if you get treated early, it's not even that big of a deal. But back in ancient times, leprosy was a death sentence. Not only that, before it took your life, it would disfigure your body. Your nerve endings would start to deteriorate and die at the end of your appendages. So your fingers, your toes, they would start forming lesions and they would start withering away. Your nose, your face, your eyes, everything would start being disfigured and not functioning correctly. And it was highly contagious and so Nobody wanted to be around it, all right? They knew that it was contagious, so nobody wanted to be around lepers, and they were outcasts of society. So here you have this man that has everything going for him, but this one problem in his life is consistent 
consuming his life, consuming his mind, consuming his, his joy, his happiness, his contentment. He can't think about anything else because this problem is so big in his life. And then this little servant girl tells him, you know, you don't have to live life like this. There is someone, a prophet in Samaria that can heal you. So he immediately goes to his king and says, hey, what do you think about this? Can I go and see this man? And the king is like, yeah, I would love for you to be healed. I will send you a letter of recommendation. So here we go. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. I mean, he brought with him a buttload of money right here. Like, this is a, this is a lot. So he, he's got the bribe going. He's ready to do this. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive? This man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. Now to put this in modern context, all right, this would be like Putin, all right, from Russia. He, all right, the war is going on and he's in the middle of already attacking Ukraine right now. There's war is going on and his military commander gets his legs blown off. All right, so his, his, his highest general gets his legs blown off and then he turns and sends this general to Germany and says, hey, greetings. Hey, reheal this guy's legs and bring them back to me. All right, that, that's the, essentially the equivalent of what, so this is going on here. So the king of Judah, I mean, he's not nearly as powerful as Syria at this time. And here this man is asking him to do something impossible. He's like, look, He's trying to start war with me. He's going to come after me next. No one can cure this. Am I God? But luckily, he has some wise counselors, so here we go. Well, he has Elisha. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come, to, come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and the Farfar and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, just wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. There's so much to pull from this story here. And I'm going back to the beginning of just this problem with leprosy. And there are times, and I think everyone, everyone faces a problem that kind of consumes their mind kind of consumes their, their heart, kind of consumes 
their, their life decisions and everything that's going on. Sometimes it is a health problem. Sometimes it is a relationship problem. Sometimes it's a mental health problem. But you have things that are going on. But one thing that is certainly clear, and, and you see in, in Scripture that, that leprosy is often a, a, a great metaphor for sin. But what is certainly true is that everyone has a sin problem that is holding us back. We all have that. I look at, at some of the greatest Christians ever, like a Paul, and what does he say? He says, ah, I don't do the things that I know I should do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, he is struggling with the fact that he keeps sinning, and he doesn't want to. And then Peter, I mean, this is, this is Jesus' strongest disciple, right? But he denies Christ three times. And he goes on and makes stupid decisions even after Jesus is resurrected and all those things. And so we know that everyone has a sin problem. And often there is a particular sin, a, a particular stronghold that we face that is holding us back from a stronger relationship with God and holding us back from peace and holding us back from joy. It might be anger. It might be lust leading to some kind of pornography addiction. It could be uh, fear. Maybe you struggle with anxiety and then you let it, it manifest into fear and worry and it's consuming your heart and mind. Maybe it is laziness and apathy. You just don't care about stuff. Sometimes it's obsession, like you just can't put a video game down or your phone down or you just keep on something that's consuming your mind. You can't get it out of there. You just want it out. But we let these issues develop into sin problems, and these sin problems hold us back from stronger relationship from God and taking that next step that we need to do, all right? Everyone has a sin problem. I have a sin problem. I'll tell you mine right now that I've, that I've been struggling with for months, probably longer than that, is anger. I have an anger problem. It usually manifests when I'm driving. Um, I'm really, really bad about it, but I'm telling you... I, when the people do not start going at a green light, I, am, I, I have to pray so I don't honk the horn. I'm imme I immediately go into the red. And if you turn slow, if you turn right slowly, and I have to wait on you to go like a grandma to the right, I am immediately infuriated. And so over and over again, bad drivers drive me crazy. And I know it's like a trigger for me. And then um, Carson can tell you, attest to this, but I am also have anger problems when my favorite sports team plays stupid and loses games they shouldn't lose. Like if they are, they're up and I know they should be beating this team, they're better than this team and they lose, whether it's football or basketball, I, I just immediately, I, I throw pillows, I start screaming at the TV. Like my family is like, go away from Jason. And I know that shouldn't be, but I have anger issues at times. I'm working on them. I'm praying about it. All right? I'm working through. Right? But everyone has sin problems, all right? The question is, what are you gonna do to address your sin problems? And this, is, this brings me to the next point. God will put people in your path to point you to truth. God will put people in your path to point you to truth. I love the people in Naaman's life right here, all right? Because it's, it's fascinating who is advising him. First of all, it is a little girl that has been made a slave. I want you to think about her life, all right? This is a tragic story. Syria, as a conquering army, goes in and raids a town. There was probably all kinds of pillaging and destruction and death. And out of that, they take a little girl and sell her into slavery, all right? 
So that is evil. But what I love about our God is that what Satan means for evil, God intends for good. And he orchestrates it so that this girl is, is, is bought, is basically captured and taken into a good man's home, a wealthy home where she would have more protections and privilege than potentially that she had back home. But again, she's still, she's a slave and that's not less than that at all. This is a tough situation that she's in. But look, she still has faith in her God and she's not let bitterness consume her. Instead, she has looked at her master who is suffering and he's like, I don't want him to suffer. I want to take care of him. And look, Naaman listens to this. He listens to this advice of a little girl, a servant girl. And because of that, he has a potential for healing. And then he gets there and he is, has all this bribe money and he has all this prestige and he has all these servants coming with him to make a show of his power and his influence. And Elisha did not care what people think. He just did not care. And he didn't even deign to go outside and meet with this guy because he wanted them to know, I don't care who you are, all right? I just care about glorifying God. And I know this is gonna glorify God, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna hook you up. This is what you do through his sermon. He's just like, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And you got to think in Naaman's position, he's like, wash in the river. You're not using any of your God magic. You're not just waving your hands and speaking these, these holy phrases. You want me to go wash in a dirty river, a river that's dirtier than the ones I have back home and seven times? He's like, I'm not doing that. That's, that's stupid. And so he turns around in a rage. And this is bad news for Israel too. He goes home and says, look, they, they offended me in this way. It could lead to war. But he has these friends of his, these servants that take care of him. And they're like, well, master, master, let's, let's think this through. We came all this way, all right? All you have to do is take a bath, all right? Just, just, just get in some water. Let's at least try it. And so it assuages his anger a little bit. He's like, okay, I'm going to try it. But, I want, but this, is, this was tough. This was very tough for Naaman right here because... He is disfigured at this point, all right, to some extent. He has lesions all over his body. Most lepers stayed covered up at all times so people couldn't see the wounds on their face and their, their, their fingers going bad and their toes and all this kind of stuff. So he was likely stayed covered most of the time. And for him to bathe in the river, all right, they didn't have bathing suits, you know, back then that they would readily supply, all right? You, and usually when you did a cleansing ritual, you would cleanse your whole body. So he is stripping down naked in front of, of his servants here and in the, in the people that were around. And he has to step into the middle of this water and rinse himself. And then he gets up out of it, walks back out, and then back in to rinse it a second time. And while he's doing this, the, the embarrassment of having to do this in front of people would be horrific. And then added onto that is each time he comes out of that water, he's not looking any better. God didn't do any healing before he got to the seventh time, all right? And so the whole time in his mind, has these negative thoughts, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna matter, it's, nothing's gonna change, I'm looking like an idiot, I'm feeling so foolish. He's probably getting angry and angry about the process. 
but he steps in faith anyway. He does it. He goes into the water seven times. The seventh time he comes out completely healed. And the feeling of having all kinds of lesions and sickness all over your body and coming out of that water like newborn skin would have been a crazy feeling. And immediately he is overwhelmed by thankfulness to the one true God. And he goes and tries to give all this wealth to, to Elisha who refuses it. But he is so thankful that he said, I will now worship this God from here on out. It's a beautiful story. So God put people in his place and completely redeemed the situation. I have seen this happen with my own life. As I've told many of you that, that go to Renovation Church regularly, you know the story, that you know that I, I went through a divorce. My first marriage imploded, just completely blew up. She ran off with a friend of mine. It apparently had been going on for a, for a number of months before I finally found out. It just, it was an ugly mess. And the sin that I struggled with before that was pride. I thought I had everything together. People looked up to me. I had, a, I had a good job that people looked up to. I had, had the perfect wife, the perfect family, the perfect, I, I, like extended family. I was very active in the church, all these things. I'm like, I, I have it together. And then once I went through that, it was complete disaster. Then suddenly uh, friends didn't know how to treat me and didn't even know if it was right to hang out with me at that point. I went to a really rigid church, uh, fundamentalist church. And so I lost friendships. I started questioning whether God loved me. I was like, why would this let this happen? I tried to do my best, all this kind of stuff. And everything just kind of compounded on all those different things. But what happened was he, God was, was using it. He was stripping it away. And again, what, what Satan means for evil, God means for good. He can turn those things around. But it took people coming into my life and saying, Jason, God has a calling on your life. God has a calling on your life and he wants to use you. And then I got asked to become a pastor and I was like, have you lost your mind? I'm a divorcee that's just recently coming out of a divorce and no one is gonna respect me. No one is gonna look up to me. Like this makes no sense. And I, I said no for years because I could not believe the truth. I was naming, walking away from what God had planned because I was like, that's stupid. That makes no sense. God wouldn't want someone like me. And then, but eventually enough good people that God put in my life, I, I, it started to sink in. I started to listen to them, all right? And because of that, I've been a pastor now for over 11 years, trying to make a difference. Also, God has restored things in my life in an unbelievable way. I, I am now happily married to an amazing, beautiful woman named Amanda. And, with, and if this pain didn't happen in my life. I wouldn't have that. I also wouldn't have my two sons, Carson and Rivers. Those things are products of the fact that I went through that first divorce and also turned my life around, decided to give it full out for Jesus. So those sin problems that you have in your, in your life, those things that are holding you back, those, those health problems, those mental health problems, those relationship problems, all those things, all right, Yes, Satan is meaning those for evil. Yes, those are hard things. Those are hard things to overcome. But I'm telling you, the fact that you're here tonight is already proof that God has put people in your life to point you to truth. You're here tonight because people are in your life pointing you to truth. 
because God loves you and God wants to use you. He wants to use you to do great things. There's no limit to what you can accomplish through God of what he wants to accomplish through you. Like he wants you. But, and here's the big but, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to be healed. And that's really my question tonight. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to be healed? For Naaman, he had to humiliate himself and he had to trust something that made absolutely no sense. But Jesus asked us to do the same kind of things. He says, the only way to save your life is to lose it. You have to completely turn your life over to him. You have to lay all your wants, all your desires, all your ambitions and your life down at his feet and say, this is yours. I will make you Lord of my life and I will do whatever you say from here on out. That is the cost of discipleship. That is the cost of following Jesus. That is what he's asking and it's a lot to ask. But here's the, the wonderful thing about our God. What we think we want is terrible compared to what he knows we need. It's terrible. Everything that we pursue in our own desires, our own human nature leads to pain and suffering, rejection, loneliness, anxiety, stress, lack of contentment. All of those things are a result of doing things our way. And when we give our lives to Jesus, he transforms our minds and he transforms our desires and he fills us with peace and joy and love. All our relationships start providing healing and we experience all the things that we truly deeply desire and really want, we start getting those things and we don't even realize those are the things that we were looking for all along. But you have to be willing to lay your life at the feet of Jesus. You have to be willing to listen to your counselors in this room, your, the leaders in this room, your friends that are saying, Jesus is the way. He loves you. He wants to use you. That, that way that you're looking at yourself saying that you're inferior, that you're not worth anything, that you can't ever do great things, that's a lie from the enemy. That's not God. And he's gonna put people in your life to point you to truth. Listen to them. And once you listen to them, act on it. Believe that Jesus loves you enough to use you in great and mighty ways. Turn your life over to him and experience the love and the joy and the restoration and the redemption that he can. He can free you of that sin, that thing that is holding you back. He can free you of that and you can be truly, deeply joyful and happy and in love. He wants that for you and I want that for you. And so I'm gonna close in a word of prayer and I'm gonna ask you that if you are ready tonight to say, I wanna take that step, I will do whatever it takes, then I wanna welcome you to the church. I wanna welcome you into the family of God. And so I'm gonna, I wanna help lead you in prayer right here, but, don't, but I don't wanna leave it at that. Before you go to small groups or in your small group, I wanna make sure that you're talking to someone and sharing your decision it's the most important decision that you can possibly make in your life. God's way is always better, and I hope you take it. Let's close in a word of prayer. 
Lord, thank you so much for these young people. Thank you for the potential in this room. Man, when I look at these kids and I see them worshiping, and I see them moving, I see them serving, I think about how bright the future is for the church. But like I said at the start of this message, the church will only be as strong as this generation's willingness to say yes to the Lord and follow you. Lord, for the people in this room that have not yet made a decision to give you their lives, I pray that you will knock on the door of their heart until they give in. I pray that you will put people in their life that will constantly speak truth until their thinking turns around. I pray that they will not leave here tonight without expressing the fact that they want to take you, they want to take up your offer of freedom, of peace, of joy and love. I pray that they will turn their lives over to you. I pray that they will simply say to you that they are a sinner that is in need of a savior and that tonight they make the commitment to give you their lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your healing and the healing that you offer to all people who are willing to call you their Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You guys are dismissed to small groups. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.